This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. David Mark is a seasoned political journalist. He's an author and a public speaker. He has authored the book Dog Whistles, Walkbacks, and Washington Handshakes, Decoding the Jargon and Slang and Bluster of American Political Speech. He's been on the program many times, most recently December 11th. Good to have him with us. Happy New Year, buddy. How are you? Good afternoon and welcome back. Hey, Leslie. Good to be back with you. We have so much to talk about. We have a new Congress today, and as a Democrat, I shudder to think what the future holds with what they're doing so far. But one thing I'm not shuddering about, I'm kind of chuckling about, is that although today the opponents of John Boehner tried to take him down, um, John Boehner pretty much just endured the biggest revolt against a House Speaker in more than 100 years, hasn't he? Right, John Boehner was going. He was up for speaker again. This is what happens at the start of each Congress. Each uh, each party puts their name forward. Republicans being in the majority, of course, the, it's going to be a Republican speaker. But John Boehner d- did have kind of a rough day in that there were about 25 defections, meaning 25 House Republicans did not vote for him. That wasn't nearly enough to sink him, but that's got to be kind of embarrassing and make him wonder if he wants to come back for another term after this. What does this do more than symbolically show that there are some people that don't want John Boehner as speaker in the Republican Party? It's not clear that it actually hurts Boehner in the long run. If anything, I would argue he's in a better position because some more at least pragmatic conservatives have come into office. They're not all wing nuts. They're all pretty conservative, but at least some of them realize you have to compromise in the legislative process. I think the ones who get really get hurt are these members of Congress who are now out in the political cold. There's a congressman from Kansas, Tim Holzkamp, who's now voted against Boehner for speaker twice in a row, and he, he got stripped of his seat on the Agriculture Committee and representing Kansas. That's a big deal. So I, I think it actually hurts the members more than it does Boehner. Going forward, though, does it give us a foreshadowing of division and fragmentation in this party, and specifically this chamber of Congress? And does that show us how things will be going forward? I mean, if you don't like Boehner, you're not going to follow his lead necessarily with regard to legislation. Well, that's right. And it shows there are some fractious times ahead. If there are more votes that come up, like the omnibus, the cromnibus, as it was called, that big $1.1 trillion end-of-the-year dollar spending bill that, that came out, neither side really liked it very much, but they still both still voted for it. It's not clear at all there will be that much support for those kind of compromises. And with President Obama still in office the next two years, there's going to have to be those kind of compromises on budget bills, the debts, raising the debt ceiling, all this other routine kind of legislation. Looking at what this Congress, in a sense, needs to do, and they need to be able to work with the president more so than Democrats, obviously, with the numbers that they have in the House and the Senate. The Republicans, first of all, so people understand, 
What would you say are the philosophical differences between those that supported John Boehner and the more conservative Tea Party faction of the GOP who revolted today? I'm not even sure it's so much ideological. Is It's over tactics. They're all pretty darn conservative. You do have a few outliers, like there's this guy, Walter Jones from North Carolina, who's actually kind of got Ron Paul views on foreign policy. He's very, pretty much anti-war, but that, that puts him in the, in the minority, I would say. And there's a few others who are just even further to the right than Boehner and the Republican leadership. But it really gets to pragmatism and, frankly, their hatred of President Obama. And I think that's what a lot of it comes down to is if you talk to these guys, and they are mostly men at this point, they just said, yeah, he's not fighting Obama hard enough. And I, I don't know what else Boehner, et cetera, could, and company could have done under those circumstances. But that's, that's their thing, and they, they just feel that the Republican leadership has been too accommodating of President Obama, believe it or not. Perception is reality. If the perception is and has been in the past that Boehner is not a strong leader and that Boehner has not, like you said, shared hatred of President Obama, been tough enough uh, with Obama, there is a whole slew of people out there that, you know, you know, according to the polls, David, that have said, look, you know, you may hate him, we may hate him, but, you know, you got to get stuff done. We hate you guys more than we hate anybody else, Congress, that is, with the approval rating. And, and, and you have to be able to work uh, with uh, the president and John Boehner specifically has to be able to work with the president. So isn't Boehner in an even more difficult spot, despite the fact he has more of a majority in the House and now a majority in the Senate? Yeah, he's going to have a lot of headaches. There's no doubt about it. He's going to be facing this right flank for these next two years or so. And every time there's a big vote that comes up, he's going to have to – he's probably going to have to count on – probably 25 to 30 members dropping off. There could be even more than those that voted against him for speaker on the House floor. But again, there are some pragmatists coming in, So, and those who have served in state legislatures who have a more, a more experienced view on how you actually legislate and get things done. So I think on some votes, it'll be tougher for Boehner, but overall, I actually think he can, actually, he can afford to take these people for granted a little bit more. For the first time since 2006, Republicans uh, have control of the Senate, and their goal ahead of the presidential election, at least if you ask people like Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, is to govern like a sensible party. Let's talk about the House before we talk about the Senate again. Yeah. House isn't being sensible. We have, we, have, we have Benghazi again. You know we're going to see Affordable Care Act again. We'll talk about Keystone Pipeline. That may be sensible because the president – did at one time say that was an area he might be open uh, to compromise. I don't think that's the case today. Uh, but th this is not, in my opinion, a House at least, that plans to govern like a, quote, sensible party. Would you agree? No. And the goal is going to be to send to President Obama bills that he's likely to veto. The number one is the Keystone Pipeline, which White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest basically said that Obama would veto. And he's been signaling that for some time. And that's just the beginning of all kinds of tax cut bills, environmental rollbacks, et cetera. And the goal is going to be to force the president to 
be on the defensive all of this time. Some of these bills may not make it out of the Senate. Democrats might filibuster them in, in time, but a lot of them probably will get through. And so it's going to be – it's not going to be legislating to actually get a lot done, more just to make President Obama look bad. There's, there's a long history of this with opposition parties doing this in Congress. I want to know, do do you feel that Benghazi over and over again, Affordable Care Act over and over again is going to backfire? That's not what the American people want. And in the past elections, it would seem every couple of years they, you know, will throw the party out if they're not getting things accomplished. That That's at least what's been happening with the, the uh, voters every couple of years. Well, yeah, there certainly is a, a pendulum that swings back and forth, and Republicans have been riding high the well, certainly this last election cycle after after a good run by Democrats uh, in from 2006 to 2012, at least in certain cases. I think with Benghazi, they've got to be Republicans have got to be careful about this, and they've got to they've got to come up with something new if they can. If there's anything new to discover there, uh, otherwise, yeah, I suppose it'll be labeled a waste of time. But I've got to say, people knew what they were getting when they voted in this Republican majority in 2014, and now. Now, that, as the saying goes, elections have consequences. Right. But one of the things that people voted for who, I mean, you know, Democrats didn't even show up pretty much. But, I mean, the people that did show up and the Republicans I have spoken to, they, they were more fiscal issues they were concerned about. It does not address the concerns of the American people with regard to the economy and spending being cut and less big government to spend over a million bucks to have yet another. Uh, there's already been seven uh, Benghazi uh, investigations, and all seven have concurred the same thing, which is, uh, as I've been saying all, all all afternoon, there is no there there. Right. And I think that's Democrats' best strategy. Just every time there is a Benghazi hearing on the select committee or one of these other panels that maybe they, they just they just play in defiance. They just say they just bring that up repeatedly. That, like you just said, there's been all this money spent on these panels, these committees, and they haven't led to anything new. That's probably Democrats' best strategy. But the Democrats don't have a whole lot of leverage on this right now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with my guest, David Mark, but we want to hear from you. Pick up the phone and join us. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 to call us. Tweet. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. Like our fan page, facebook.com forward slash The Leslie Marshall Show. Or send us an email. Go to lesliemarshallshow.com and click on contact. In the meantime, follow our guest, David Mark, on Twitter at DavidMarkDC. The website to get his book is called DogWhistleBook.com. We'll be back with him and you right after this. Don't go away. We are back. So is he, David Mark, seasoned political journalist, author, public speaker, author of Dog Whistles, Walkbacks, and Washington Handshakes, Decoding the Dragon Slang and Bluster of American Political Speech. David, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, let's Good talk, to be here. We talked about the uh, the House. Let's talk about the Senate. How different is the Senate, in your opinion, going to be with the leadership of Mitch McConnell and uh, the different style of uh, governance, if you will, that Mitch McConnell has as opposed to John Boehner and leadership? 
And McConnell says that as Senate Majority Leader, he wants a more open process. He's been criticizing Harry Reid for years, the former Majority Leader, now the Minority Leader, for saying amendments are not allowed to be offered and senators don't get their debate. We'll see how that goes, because we've heard that from other leaders. I think McConnell is going to want to make himself seem like the responsible adult in Congress and make it look like Republicans can get something done on Capitol Hill leading up to the 2016 presidential race. Whether or not that happens remains a big issue. Now, in the House, John Boehner, the Speaker Boehner, can push through basically whatever he wants with the majority. It's going to be tougher in the Senate for Mitch McConnell to do so. Uh, no question about it, because you don't have uh, the type of majority that John Boehner has in the House. Well, that's right. Also, Democrats who have long decried the filibuster may come to love it now, in that they'll be on the other end. They'll be trying to stop legislation like the Keystone Pipeline, like other such issues. So it's not even clear that a lot of these proposals are going to make it through the Senate, and also repeal of some of the Obamacare provisions, the medical device tax, the Cadillac plan, all these other provisions that Republicans say they want to do away with. It's not clear that Mitch McConnell will even be able to get that through to the uh, to President Obama for a signature. When the president has talked in the past about uh, you know compromising, where are areas of compromise? What is going to be put forth, especially by the House? Certainly, the president is not going to sign to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. The overwhelming majority of Americans don't even want that, even those who elected these people uh, into office in the midterms. Um, I I don't think the American people want over a million dollars spent on yet another investigation to find out nothing with regard to Benghazi. And although there is, you know, a division with the Keystone Pipeline, other than that, what, what, what are they putting forth that, would improve the scenario not only for uh, Congress and their reputation with the American people, but to accomplish things, to move forward and get something done in this country, because we've seen nothing but gridlock and filibustering. And I certainly hope the Democrats aren't going to just be doing exactly what the Republicans did the past few years. (laughs) There's reason to think there's compromise uh, potentially on at least a few issues like trade deals. The White House and congressional Republicans have both said that's an area that they might be able to do business on. That's not something that makes a lot of Democrats happy. Nancy Pelosi, the House Minority Leader, and others doesn't exactly make them thrilled. But at least that's something that both sides could do business on. Maybe corporate tax reform, where you have actually some incentives for both parties kind of lining up to revamp the the tax code. That's a heavy lift. It's not too likely that's going to happen. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot that you can see them working on. Maybe funding to combat Ebola, which still remains an issue, a threat out there, a public health threat. But we're not exactly talking big ticket items here, massive changes to to federal laws, etc. I think we're going to have two years almost fully of gridlock. I agree.
Absolutely. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk Democrats. We talked Republicans uh, in the House. We talked Republicans in the Senate. Let's talk some Democrats specifically, what House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi has laid out, because there was an early legislative agenda by her for, and speaking uh, for the Democrats, uh, that's been laid out. Actually, I have two minutes, Dave. I'm not going to take a break. Uh, my mistake, I thought it was one. Um, let, let's start the conversation on, on that. The uh, Democratic agenda that was set out yesterday by House Minority Leader Nancy uh, Pelosi uh, certainly distinguishes the Democrats and the, the left from the right and the priorities of the Democratic Party as opposed to the Republican Party. Um, let, let's talk about this. Uh, she had a, she in the letter that she presented to the Democrats. What was the focus for the party that she outlined? What is the Democratic agenda going forward in the House? It's a lot of what Democrats have focused on previously, particularly infrastructure, trying to build up roads and bridges, investments in that those kind of projects. That's something that, in theory, should have bipartisan appeal. Uh, uh, but you know, it's not doesn't always work out that way. There's also the Employee Pay Fairness Act, which she says would boost workers' pay, and some other pieces of legislation that some of which Democrats moved when they were in the majority, some of which never made it that far. So it's not like Democrats in the House have a whole lot of clout here to move their agenda. All they can really do is introduce bills and hope maybe there's a Republican sponsor somewhere along the way. And they're definitely uh, countering uh, the advancing of additional tax cuts for the wealthy, which Congress wants to do, and obviously for special interest groups, right? Oh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back to David Mark. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in talk radio of four and by you, the people. Talking with my buddy, David Mark, and we wish you'd join us as well. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Tweets on Twitter we'll share soon because I know you have them. 888-6LESLIE uh, is the number, as I said, and Twitter at Leslie Marshall to follow me there. Uh, David, you had already talked about Congress uh, setting to move quickly on the Keystone Pipeline bill. Um, now and then, politicians keep their promises. That was one promise that Republicans made when they were running before the midterm election. Oh, absolutely. And this is one that was heard repeatedly by Republican candidates and that we're going to see put into action. You can, we can expect Republicans in the Senate to move on the Keystone bill probably within the next couple of weeks or so. And I would imagine the House will do the same thing. Again, President Obama is now likely to veto that bill. So it's going to set up some gridlock, and we're, we'll, we'll probably see override vote attempts. And that will be fascinating to see how many Democrats join in on those. So I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's what's likely to happen. Now, obviously, this bill will be to approve construction to move the oil from the tar sands in Alberta, Canada, to the refineries in the United States. David, in the past, the president has talked about, and after the midterm, his willingness to compromise on some issues. And this was one of the issues he said he would compromise on. But like you said, his spokesperson has uh, you know, clearly stated the president would veto this. Why do you think he has changed his tune, or is it because they're putting forth same old, same old, uh, with no environmental uh, regulations or inspections that he feels are more than necessary if we're to move forward in any uh, manner with uh, this construction. Yeah, I think the president was always kind of keeping his powder dry and trying to be careful about what he actually committed to. He said, he basically said, 
I'll take a hard look at it, but I don't think he ever actually committed to it, or, he, or probably not even close. He was probably pretty careful about that. This is one of those issues that actually kind of splits a lot of Democrats, because you have unions who are often for this because of the job creation aspect, but the, then you get environmentalists who are fervently opposed to it. So I think President Obama has been hinting of late in his year-end news conference. He basically went through all the problems with Keystone. So I think it's not too surprising that he's going to come out against it. And boy, this is going to be a huge fight in the not-too-distant future. The perception out there is that this is a job creator, and if he vetoes it, it's a job killer. But the reality is that temporary jobs, there'll be a number of, but very temporary, a few months. And at the end of the day, we're looking at 50, 50 new jobs. To me, it just doesn't seem that the benefit of this outweighs the potential damage in the future. That's certainly how the president sees it. And I think we'll ex- we can expect the president to explain this a lot more clearly in the near future, particularly if he actually gets to vetoing a bill from Congress, which is likely to happen again pretty soon, assuming it makes it out of the Senate. So I think we'll hear more from the administration on why they're not fans of Keystone. I think you make good arguments here, but uh, this is something that Republicans feel they have the upper hand on. Yeah, most most definitely. Polls, what have they shown, uh, David, because, you know, you're really good with this and, you know, they're all over the map and certainly the way they're worded can make a difference in the outcome of the response. Uh, Where is the American people uh, come down on this and, you know, with regard to the uh, construction of this pipeline, Keystone Pipeline? And is it largely divided along party lines among people, not just politicians? Yeah, it is largely divided. The country is pretty much split as well. You get those who say that this would be a boom for energy, that this would be a chance to lower energy prices. The problem with that is gas prices are in pretty strong condition right now. It's almost like a tax cut that people have been getting of late because it's so much less expensive to fill up one's car at this point. So I think that's probably hurting Republican chances of pushing through Keystone, but it doesn't mean they're not going to continue to try. Oh, most most definitely. Well, so that people understand, you know, who just constantly hear Keystone Pipeline, bottom line is Republicans says it, say it creates jobs and Democrats say too much of a risk environmentally. Right. And that's the basic divide here in that you get a lot of Democrats who say, yeah, there's, there's scientific reasons to believe this is a bad move, that this is not going to enhance and increase oil production. So this is something that Democrats can be expected to fight tooth and nail. They've actually succeeded on this kind of thing in the past, fighting opening up of Anwar, the Alaska National Refuge, which Republicans were pushing for years and still are, but even though that issue seems to have died down somewhat. So Democrats actually do have some track record of success on this sort of thing. Senator John Hoven of North Dakota filed uh, the bill, and the Senate Energy Committee is going to be having a hearing on the bill. Uh, They say it's going to be a couple of days that there may be a vote by that panel. So that folks understand, um, why does and does the Senate Energy Committee have to weigh in on this? Uh, before the full Senate could start debating the bill, which they say is going to be next Monday if the timing plays out with a vote by the panel coming as early as uh, the day after tomorrow. 
It doesn't absolutely have to go through the Senate Energy Committee, but that's usually how these things are done on Capitol Hill. And the reason Republicans are doing that is because they know they have the votes. They might even get some Democratic votes. We'll see what, what goes on there. But Republicans feel they're in pretty firm control of the process, and they now have new senators in Nebraska and some of these other states that the pipeline would run through. So they're in pretty strong – they feel like they're in pretty pretty good shape at this point. Uh, yes, most most definitely. Um, the president is going to veto it. We now know he's going to veto it so that people understand, people who vote for these individuals, people didn't turn out, you know, shamefully, quite frankly, in the midterm election. Why put forth the legislation and take the time and spend the taxpayer money when you know the president's going to veto it? Because at that point, it does become symbolic. The message the Republicans want to send is, This is not a president willing to work with us. This is a guy that doesn't want to create jobs. We tried, you know, uh, you know, check mark in the column for us doing something we promised. Correct. Right. It it plays to big contributors. They can then tell their supporters, hey, we tried to fight, fight that evil President Obama, as they would say it, and it allows them to say we're fighting the good fight and raise money off of it. If both sides do it. This is something that I think Republicans are particularly strong at. And so even if this goes down, this Keystone Pipeline, you can expect them to try and bring up versions of it later on, certainly use it for fundraising purposes. So we have not seen the last of this at all, even if this fight for it is not successful. And 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 bottom line is, th- th- at least I have to say, putting forth this legislation to me is doing their job, if you will. They did promise that more so than trying to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, more so than having yet another uh, committee that is such a waste of over a million dollars of taxpayers' uh, money and certainly time. Uh, with regard to Benghazi. I I have to say, even though I may not support the construction of the Keystone Pipeline um, uh, until, you know, we have more assurances uh, with uh, and regulations in place to address the environmental concerns. uh, But as it stands, no, I'm with the president and against it. So, I mean, this is at least something that they campaigned on and something that Americans care about because Americans care about job creation, right? And, And Americans certainly care about Uh, oil and lack of foreign dependency. Well, certainly. And this is an issue that I think Democrats actually have some potential on if they push back, if they say, here are the environmental risks, here's why it won't actually produce that much more oil, here are some of the other problems with it. But they've got to be aggressive about it. I think Democrats are kind of on the defensive right now, and they've probably got to be much more outgoing on this kind of thing. Uh, no question about it. We've got some emails here, uh, one from uh, a guy named David, that, like you, uh, that says, we have thousands of pipelines. So, you know, l- let's address that. That is true. I mean, maybe not thousands, maybe hundreds of pipelines. Why is this one different compared to the others that we have? This one is specifically because it's international. It goes up through Canada from lower Alberta and then across the border down into the Gulf Coast. And so this has to get international approval. It's actually the State Department that has to certify this and sign off on it, which they haven't quite done yet. There's been some reports about it, but most other pipelines can just be built if it's between Nevada and New Mexico or something like that. You don't need all this kind of approval, but it's a much bigger deal because this one is international. Uh, Speaking to the, you know, 
composition of the House and the Senate and the votes. Uh, how about moderate Democrats? You know, do do we really are the Democrats uh, more moderate on the whole, or you know, the new Democrats that have come in, or are they pretty much left leaning liberal? There, I'd say at this point more on the left side, but there still are some remaining that would be potentially likely to vote for Keystone, like Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia. There might be a few. I'm trying to think. There's only 46 left at this point, so there aren't a whole lot. There might be a couple of others here and there who would support it, but i got to say most of those Democrats who were in favor of it, like former Senator Mary Landrieu, are just, now, are just that now, former senators. And so they're not likely to uh, – they have no effect on the process. So it's probably going to be mostly a party-line vote once this co- actually comes up on the Senate floor. Uh, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to share more emails, more tweets. If you want to join us in this conversation, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And uh, be sure to tweet us. Follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate the tweets during this hour with my guest, David Mark. 888-6-LESLIE's the number. Follow him on Twitter, at David Mark DC. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Happy Tuesday and Happy New Year. I'm Leslie Marshall. Our guest in this hour is David Mark, author of Dog Whistles, Walkbacks, and Washington Handshakes, decoding the jargon slang and bluster of American political speech. David, thanks for holding. Welcome back. Let's take some calls, tweets, emails, and more. And uh, let's see who is uh, up uh, first here for uh, our callers. Uh, Okay, let's go to line three with Carl. Carl, good afternoon and welcome. Question or comment for our guest? Hello? Hi, Carl. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for taking my call. Hi. Hey, Thank Carl. you for calling. What did, you, what did you have to say? Okay, well, I think um, I, I don't, I'm an ex, not an expert, but I think I, I feel like I have a well-rounded knowledge of, of things because I get information from all different sources. And I think you're, you're, you're kind of missing some, some major points. Look at the sequence of operation. The, uh, the, 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 first of all, the oil is coming from from uh, Canada, which is the dirtiest, nastiest oil that could be, uh, supposedly, according to reports. And then, then you're going to make a, p- a pipeline that's going through all the, uh, the uh, very sensitive areas, um, environmentally sensitive areas. So you have, you have that issue. That's the environmental end of it. And, yes, it's going to make a job because somebody's got to build it, but after it's all said and done, it doesn't need to be babysat. It's just a pipeline. Yeah, but then, I, I don't know when you tuned into the show, but we actually did address all of those. I said there's going to be 50, right, 50, okay. five, zero permanent jobs. We talked about the environmental issue. We talked about the international connection. And we didn't mention in this hour, but we've mentioned on the show in the past uh, what's referred right. to as well, the type well, of oil, dirty oil, that is coming then, from Canada. It's not going to benefit America at all because oil is not staying here. It's shipped to the other countries that don't have an EPA, and it's just bad for the environment. All right. They're da- just, uh, just going to go. All right, Carl. David, uh, any remarks on uh, Carl's uh, points? 
See, I didn't even know some of that. I'll admit, <laughs> when I've got some things to learn, I knew parts of it. If I were the Democrats, I would be making those kind of arguments much more forcefully. I feel like it's Republicans who have really set the agenda on those arguments. So I think Democrats actually have some potential to turn this thing back, but they're going to have to get started on it pretty quickly. Most definitely. Uh, Carl, thank you for the call. Let's go to Chris online for next. Chris, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Leslie. How are you? Good, Chris. How you doing? Happy New Year. Question or comment Great. for David Mark on uh, the issues we've been talking about in this hour? Yeah, well, um, as far as the pipeline is concerned, you know, I'm really not sure why this is the, the big fight that everybody's putting up uh, in Congress and across our nation, because the number of jobs that it's going to bring are, are going to be minimal. And as it was pointed out earlier, the oil is being shipped elsewhere. I mean, we have our own oil production, and uh, Canada needs the pipeline. We could use the pipeline, I guess. It would create a few jobs. But I'm not sure it's the main issue that we need to be arguing about. And, and we've, we've really been on it, I think, for too many years, and, and nothing's been done about it. Uh, obviously, there weren't any votes to move it forward um, either way in the Senate in the last couple of years. And uh, with the change in leadership in the House and Senate, uh, obviously they, they can move something on that if they really want to. But should we spend our political capital worrying about something that's going to create so few jobs? Well, I think it's a good question. And before I ask David to respond as he is our guest, what do you feel is a more critical issue that should the politicians in the new Congress should be focusing on as opposed to the Keystone Pipeline? Well, I I think that they could do a better job of of focusing on the tax situation uh, across our country. I I think that taxes have been going up everywhere from local, uh, you know, city and state. That obviously affects everyone's wallet. the, the federal government is taking in more taxes now than ever before from reports that I've read in the last couple of weeks and months. And, and that's significant because it's all coming from, you know, us, the taxpayer. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're fronting that money. And, uh, I think we could use a tax break so we can spend the money a little more wisely than these char- characters in Congress. All right. David? <laughs> yeah, a lot to tackle there. Actually, I think a lot of Democrats would agree that a tax break might be in order. It might just be where it's focused, whether it's the middle class or upper middle in- upper earners. Again, just back on Keystone Pipeline, I still think Republicans have won the argument on this, whatever the merits of it. And Democrats have a lot of work to try and push back against seeing this thing go through. All right. Thank you for that. And let's go to another call in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, let's see. We have Tony joining us, and Tony is on line five. Tony, good afternoon. Welcome. Hey. Hey, Leslie. Um, I, I uh, just wanted to talk about John Boehner. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I know that he just got the, uh, the, the leadership back, uh, and there was a pretty concerted effort to get rid of him. Um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting because you definitely have a part of the GOP that's just so concerned with this litmus test of, what it means to be a conservative, and then, you know, they keep moving the needle, right? So now you start hearing that John Boehner is a big, uh, you know, he's a rhino now, and, you know, you got, like, all, all these people are trying to really 
force the the issue, right? So, so because he didn't go to the president and try to impeach him and things like that. And I think uh, for Boehner, the legacy of uh, the GOP is really on the line now. I mean, you have all this uh, this straight, you know, private sector job growth going on. You got uh, oil prices uh, really took a, a tumble. I mean, whether or not we attribute that to Obama, but you have just a string of successes. And if they're trying to, you know, go into 2016 with a winning message, they're going to have to get things done legislatively, and that requires them to work with him. So, you know, I actually think that that was in their best interest to not have Louis Gohmert at the helm, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just I found that very interesting in the news. And, uh, you know, and I think I think if the GOP wants to put forth a good message, they're going to have to really work with the president, something that, you know, they actually get hit for doing when they want to do it, you know. Um, so that, that's just what I wanted to comment on and get you, your, your take on that. Interesting. You know, I always find – we have so many callers that bring things up that you don't hear being discussed in the media all the time. David? Yeah, it's, it's interesting the caller raises the issue of Louis Gohmert, the kind of firebrand conservative Republican who from Texas who challenged John Boehner for speaker, and he came up well short, as was expected. That might have actually been a gift to Democrats if he had been elected speaker, if he was the face of the party. He's a favorite on Fox, on Fox News, on some of the conservative programs there, but uh, he, I don't know how much support he would have throughout the country. But again, Boehner was never really in trouble, and he's got—he's still plenty conservative. He's been—he has a strongly conservative record over his quarter century plus in Congress. So there's every reason to think that will continue. Oh, most definitely. Uh, uh, we don't have time, do we? Do we have time? Uh, no, we don't have time for William in Cleveland. Uh, William, uh, hang out till the next hour. Maybe we'll get your comments then. Uh, David, thank you for joining us. Happy New Year, my friend. Always a pleasure. We will have you back on the show soon. Uh, David Mark, seasoned political journalist, author, and public speaker. Author, like I said, most recently of Dog Whistles, Walkbacks, and Washington Handshakes. Decoding the jargon, slang, and bluster of American political speech. And like I said, follow him on Twitter, at DC. His website where you can buy his book, please do. It's a great read. He's a great friend. He deserves it. He worked hard. Dogwhistlebook.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.